previously on Popping Collars. I'll watch every Jurassic Park movie ever just because of the dinosaurs. There you go. Love them. Yeah. I watched um, Jurassic Park and Lost World and Jurassic Park 3 with my kid, my son. And there are just not enough dinosaurs. There can never be enough dinosaurs. Yeah, and, that, yeah. and that's the one thing that you can say about the new ones is because they can, because computers yeah. can do it for yeah. cheap now. There's like plenty. Let's talk. More dinosaurs. <laughs> more dinosaurs. Give me more dinosaurs. Dinosaurs eating dinosaurs, eating other dinosaurs. Like, that's what I They're having all these scenes and they're walking through the jungle and they're talking. Not Jeff Goldblum there are no again. Dinosaurs. <laughs> Welcome to Popping Callers, the podcast that lives at the intersection of religion and pop culture. I'm Liz Easton. I'm coming to you from Omaha, Nebraska with my co-host, Betsy Gonzalez in Alexandria, Virginia. Betsy, what are you up to? Oh, Liz, it's almost exam week, Liz. We are so close to the finish line here at Episcopal High School where I serve as a chaplain. We had our final Vesper service tonight. Everybody in the chapel senior speaker, alum speaker, children's choir. It was awesome. It could have been about 10 degrees cooler though. <laughs> I didn't finally the weather's gotten hot and I didn't I didn't make that adjustment to the to the AC. Well, we are lucky today to have two special guests joining our podcast. Joanna Hollis is coming to us from New Brunswick, New Jersey. Joanna, who are you and what are you up to? Um, who am I? Wow, that's a question for like, the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> um, well, like you said, I'm rector of Christchurch in uh, New Brunswick, New Jersey. Been here for four and a half years. Today is my day off. So I've been up to my day off. <laughs> Thank you. Our other special guest today is joining me live and in person from Omaha, Nebraska. Scott Barker, who are you and what do you do? Right on. Hi, Liz. Scott Parker, I'm the Bishop of the Diocese of Nebraska. I work with Liz virtually every day of my life. And um, Poor guy. I, sp- I know. <laughs> the cross I bear. The, uh, I spent the weekend in Memphis, Tennessee, seeing my um, great nephew graduate from high school. And this week, around this office, we're preparing for our annual Western residency, where we, we take a week-long trip to Nebraska and spend time. And I want to clarify that you were at your wonderful nephew's graduation, not your great nephew. Oh, that, yes, correct. Because that would yes. be. I was trying to do some math there, and I was a little confused. Well, he is great. There <laughs> was maybe a little bit of ambiguity there. I mean, Scott, I feel like your presence has has been in the background of this podcast. You yeah. know, Liz's boss over time. Like it's it's great to finally have you on. I should have led with. I'm a huge popping collars fan. <laughs> About which I have little choice because we always listen in the truck when Canon Easton and I are on the road. So there you go. That's true. Nice. Well, today we are recording episode 83 of Popping Collars, which is hard to believe we're slowly coming to that 100th episode. Mm. And uh, this is a timely one for us. It is ostensibly about Netflix's The Crown. But I think it's really about the royal wedding. It's about the royal wedding. <laughs> <laughs> We're a bunch of Anglophiles here. Uh, and, you know, we just came down from this big wedding extravaganza. And I'm going to confess, I'm going to need all of your help as we record this 
with like names and titles. Mm-hmm. It's all very confusing to me. But what I know is that Prince Harry married Meghan Markle in a beautiful ceremony in England at a chapel. St. <laughs> George's, St. George's Chapel. St. George's Chapel. In Windsor. In Windsor. Yep. On Saturday morning, and it was lovely. So I guess my question for each of you is, did you watch the royal wedding? Was it live or recorded? Those are my questions. So early, watched it live, right? Woke up about 6.15, didn't watch the arrivals, because I knew they were just getting off shuttle buses, and I could watch the, you know, the picture galleries later. And we, you know, live here at a boarding school. So I walked out and walked across the little courtyard here to my friend's apartment. She had set up this lovely English wedding tea bags and there were scones and lemon curd and cake and tart. And it was so wonderful. And so we just kind of sat and watched together and they had evidently, I hadn't lived here when William was married to Kate, but they had done the same thing. And, and Courtney's so wonderful, and it was just a great little gathering. That's wonderful. What about you, Joanna? I got up at five, and um, I think I turned the TV on around six, and so I kind of watched the processions, did it live. You kind of get swept up in the the crowds and the the cars, and um, kind of fantasizing about what it, what it would be like to be Megan. <laughs> that day so i watched it here um sadly i did not have tea or scones i i had my coffee (laughs) and my breakfast and just enjoyed watching the the whole thing yeah i was up late the night before at a graduation party um and was holding lightly whether i'd get up but i guess this is a test of whether or not i'm an anglophile because at like 5 45 bam i was wide awake (laughs) so i went downstairs and watched Actually, I still haven't watched the whole thing. I, I, I watched some of the music, which was lovely. And the first thing I did when I woke up that morning was um, watch the sermon on my phone in bed. And it was that was pretty, uh, I'm sure we'll talk about this more later. That was pretty moving for me. It was kind of a real world's colliding experience. And, you know, Joanna, you were imagining what Megan must have felt as a bride. And I went through that too, but I was thinking, what is Bishop Curry feeling like as a preacher? (laughs) Because like the stage a billion years listening, that was just astonishing to me um, to think about. And then to wonder about the impact on um, our church and really on every listener. It was pretty profound. Yeah. No, I thought about that too, was I was, I was fascinated. Like, you know, and we know this doing weddings, all four of us, right? We're all ordained people and we do these things. You talk to the couple mm-hmm. and like he was looking right across from them. They were his, they were the eyes. Like he wasn't watching whatever sort of speculated side eye is happening over there with whoever, right? No one's looking at that. Like he's just looking at the two of them. You know, it was almost exactly three years ago that he was elected and there were a couple things going on in the House of Bishops at the time Bishop Curry was elected. But a big one was we were feeling like it is time for this church to really get serious about evangelism. And we have at least one candidate in front of us who knows how to talk about Jesus Christ in the most joyful way. And I and people were literally talking about what if Michael Curry was elected and we could somehow get him in front of the world in this age of mass media extraordinaire. What would that mean? And so suddenly 
that was happening on Saturday morning in a way we never could have imagined three years ago. And I, I loved it. I was so, it was an answer to prayer. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think one of the things that I thought was interesting and people um, talking about um, how he preached in some, some, you know, some negative things that he didn't mention Jesus. He didn't do this. He didn't do that. I loved it. Um, and I was very upset when the PBS announcer said, oh, his talk was almost like a sermon. And I was like, have you been to church? <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like a sermon. Okay. But what I, what I realized is that, yes, he was preaching to the couple, right? Of course, he's going to preach to the couple. But he was very wisely preaching to the world so that the world would hear what he was saying, the mm-hmm. truth of what he was saying, not just uh, to be... Um, bogged down in just Christian language. I mean, it was very, it was a very Christian sermon. Agreed. Um, but that he um, couched it and and presented, it, expressed it in such a way that it was. I think it was able to be heard by by everybody, even if you weren't Christian. I mean, his messages, his message was 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 clear. It's this is all about love, and we need to change our lives and and live that way. And I think anybody can hear that. And I think. It was a very political <laughs> act in that that he was talking to everybody. I agree with you, Joanna. The same was true of his words. And to talk about the people that he talked about, to reference the things he referenced in that space, it was it was controversial in that way, yet totally natural in a way to me. To the extent that he did talk about the couple, you know, it was he just talked about this young couple who had fallen in love, and that's why we all showed up which I thought was brilliant. And I mean, that's going to connect, you know, so universally the power of that intimate love of two people who are going to mm-hmm. sacrificially try to walk this way. I thought that was uh, lovely. And I, I do want to offer, I, I was one of those people who didn't hear much Jesus. And then I went back and listened again. I was like, Oh, I was wrong. It was all there. Mm-hmm. It was all. There. I was moved thinking that this is also every marriage. Like there's something special that the eyes of the world are on it. But in every marriage, in every union of people in the sacrament of marriage, that um, incredible world changing force is being embodied in that sacrament of love. It was a reminder of every wedding that I've officiated at, every wedding that I've done, every marriage that is lived into in the people in my community, you know, whose love is transformative and does transform the world around them you say sometimes that marriage is the smallest church smallest church yeah i learned that somewhere along the way just the idea that it's a tiny congregation gathered around jesus and with the hope of proclaiming his love to the world and if you if you think about what a gathered church community does what the tiniest body of christ might be a marriage might be the distillation of it all kind of segueing to the crown a little bit in both seasons of the crown but I think it really started with that episode about the coronation in the first season was how do we bring the world into this, these sort of secret, um, dignified, private, royal things? How do we bring the world into them in a contemporary way and let them be something to the world? You know, what is the participation? Um, because it's all meaningful, you know, so like televising the coronation, for example, choosing what to show and what not to show. And then later on um, in season two, more questions about like how the queen can be part of the 
British people instead of removed from it. And I thought that this wedding was a beautiful example of them doing just that. Like, and I think all of us who work with couples in preparing for marriage, you want the service to represent them. But um, I think that the choice of Bishop Curry to be the preacher was one of those choices that they made. They were, they were saying something profound with all of the choices that they made. There was, um, there's a lot of, lot of commentary in the uh, kind of black social media world about um, this. I mean, some people are just like, we don't care about this. Mm-hmm. You know, we've had um, royalty in, Af- you know, in, in Africa for, since the beginning of time. You know, what, what is new about this kind of thing, which I appreciate too. One of the things that I really appreciated about this uh, and read about online was this idea that that this was Megan's opportunity to show the world that yes, she actually is black. Yeah, <laughs> and I was, and you know, there was her, there was her mom. Yeah, and when oh. I saw her mom come out of the car, and that, and and I mean, I knew her mom was was black, but that when I saw her mom come out of the car, I was like, she has locks. Yep. 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 <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm, you know, and I'm like, yeah, I mean, people can't see me. I have locks. <laughs> so I was like, she has locks. Um, and that just, I was like, there's a woman with dreadlocks <laughs> in, in St. George's Chapel in Windsor <laughs> um, and a nose ring. And then it just yep. kept going. You know, then there was Bishop Curry preaching. And then there was this gospel choir. And then there was this cellist that came on. Um, and then it was her, uh, the queen's chaplain. And for me, it was like, this is the most melanin this chapel has ever seen <laughs> in its entire existence. For me, as a, as a, as a black person, as a person of color, as someone who grew up in the church of England, um, in a colony, uh, one of the British colonies, it was so refreshing quite frankly, to see how uncomfortable the royals were with all of that was happening around them. I was like, yes, now you know <laughs> how uncomfortable it is for us 99.9% of the time. It, it was for me just a, a triumph, quite frankly, um, for people of color, um, people of African descent to be such, to have such important roles in that ceremony they were suppressing snickers because they were uncomfortable they were side-eyeing because they were uncomfortable and every one of us who's a preacher knows that like we know that look we've all seen it from the pulpit that's exactly what was happening and i think joanna that's a beautiful thing it is a beautiful thing because that's exactly what we're called to do right as christians is to to move out of those places where we're you know we're sitting all comfy and to and to to get uncomfortable. I mean, that's what our what our call is to get uncomfortable to to do this work um, that we're called to do. So, I would have been super disappointed if he hadn't if if Bishop Curry hadn't shown up and been himself. Yeah. Super disappointed about that. I mean, and and that and that the whole service that they designed provoked emotion. I mean, that that Harry got emotional during uh during Guide Me, O Thy Great Redeemer, which was sung at his mother's funeral. Like they made intentional choices in both the contemporary and not contemporary to really have this be a liturgy that was alive. I wonder, this is, this might actually be a controversial question for some of his companions. It's not for me. Get ready. Listeners beware. Um, My question is this, why do we care? 
But and we do. I mean, the whole world, it was one of those rare moments like a solar eclipse where the whole world is looking in one direction. And I, moments like that are so powerful. And there's a collective like humanity that's really beautiful. And this couple capitalized on that in a really, I think, faithful, like truly faithful, faith filled way. Um, so that was great. But also with a huge pocketbook and they could get all the free range elderflower, whatever they wanted. Right. There's no limit on the money. Like, I just want to say that too. Like, right. I'm very glad that everything is, was so, I mean, down to the electric Jaguar that they drove to the reception as like a couple out of James Bond thoughtful, right. but with a big pocketbook. Yes. Right. Right. For why do we care? Why do we care? Do we care? Liz. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I'm not interested in royalty much 99% of the time, though I acknowledge it's a very real thing, right? Though there's still real power there. There's incredible wealth. There's all the sexiness of the fame. Where I'm interested in royalty is where it meets just plain old humanity. And that's why the crown's so cool, because we're behind the scenes seeing Elizabeth, you know, become her full human self and an extraordinary woman. And same when, you know, when the royals get married, well, suddenly... There's real emotion. There's real love. There's a commitment we can all understand. Now, that that to me is kind of attractive and appealing, and I want to wonder about that. Way less interested, you know, the other 900 days of the any given three-year period. I think for me, it's like, you know, I mean, obviously, one of the things I – Bishop Curry speaking was a big draw, obviously, for me. But um, but I for me, really, this, this round – I, I I don't know if I watched when Kate and William got married. I don't really remember. I, I think this is the first time I've watched something from like kind of the beginning to the end. Like I said, as someone who was raised on a colony, there, I have particular feelings <laughs> about being a colonized person, quite mm-hmm. frankly. Um, so I'm not sure if I'm an Anglophile in uh, maybe a little bit, but but there's a lot that I'm just like, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but what I what was so um, compelling to me was watching this black woman from Los Angeles <laughs> becoming, you know, moving into this, this, this life, kind of watching this, this thing happen that is historic was, was important for me. It was almost like when President Obama was first elected and mm. we were at, we were all at seminary at that mm-hmm. point. Yeah. And I remember sitting there with that and I was like, I cannot believe that I'm alive when this is happening. <laughs> oh, you could just hear people roaring. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, the windows open to the yeah. Berkeley Hills and yeah. the screaming. Yes. I was sitting there and I was like, I can't believe <laughs> like I'm watching this happen. It, it really shows that, that the world is moving. The world is changing and whether or not you're, you're going to be stuck in, centuries and centuries old tradition which is great there's the, but the world is changing around it and then some then the change is going to happen inside whether you're ready for it or not it does your your idea of the world breaking in here you know scott what you were saying about the humanity on the crown and that's what i mean this this actually took me back to that episode where queen elizabeth and philip go down to ghana and they're mm-hmm. in ghana and, and they, you know, she is there in this very tense situation and she dances yes. you know, with the, the president of Ghana. Right. And, 
and it and it's kind of like oh my gosh look she's dancing with him it's 1961 mm-hmm. you know and that she and i think i hadn't had an appreciation for how in the past the monarchy was when she became a very young queen and i think i got a greater sense of that because i'm also a big nerd and i watched the pbs show victoria Yes. So there, like when the Queen Mother, like on the crown, makes references to, oh my goodness, how far we've come to, you know, hobnob with commoners, that this is what we have to do and open the palace to visitors and, you know, whatever. But, um, um, you know, looking at Victoria, oh yeah, they've come a really long way. And the fact that the movement forward, just in the lifetime of the Queen, to go from her sister not being able to marry a man because he's divorced mm-hmm. to her grandson being able to marry a woman who's divorced. So when I was watching the Royal wedding and listening to Bishop Curry speak and seeing the side eye that he was getting, which we've all agreed he was getting, that was a real thing. I don't know whether it was real. I don't know where I, side eye. I don't know where I play with the side eye. They, I think that William was suppressing a giggle. Prince Charles was possibly snoozing at one point. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you? Uh, well, but it reminded the gallery me. Seating. It's better with the gallery seating. Just look at the couple. Look at the, okay. I, I, I think they were uncomfortable. Fine. And I think that's okay. As we said, I think that that's necessary. Um, but it reminded me of the episode of the crown in season two, where Billy Graham comes and does a crusade in England and the queen wants to meet him and she's dealing with some stuff of her own, you know, in her faith. And um, the response that she gets when she kind of reaches out, the people around her are sort of like you, an American, an evangelist, like this is a little unseemly. And I sort of loved that um, connection with having an American preacher then who is very, um, emotional in his preaching he's preaching like a historical african-american style he he was very american in that pulpit um well he was very much himself but i i thought that that was interesting to see um i guess the difference in decades between how we how christians are confronting each other across the ocean well and that they spent time together that wasn't the only time they were real friends. Billy Graham claims. Like, there they are. You know, yeah. yeah, they've been having an ongoing conversation. Billy Graham claimed that they were friends. I think that Billy Graham liked to collect powerful people. So I don't know the extent of their actual friendship. Right. And he was very private about her personal faith. Yeah. Which apparently is, you know, profound. But, um, but yeah, they were, they maintained a relationship. And it was this odd clash because often these weddings are so separate and we don't see ourselves in them at all as Americans. I don't know. It, it makes me, I, cause I, as much as I'm an Anglican too, I, I don't know what church in a British context is really like. I mean, I, you know, and maybe, I don't know whether Scott, you said this before we were talking, but like I, I admit, you know, when we were in Salt Lake city and we elected Bishop Curry I bet I I really thought we would have been at this place sooner because mm-hmm. he's that good and he's that holy himself. And the way he communicates is amazing. You know, calling him the evangelist in chief is no joke. I thought, you know, yeah, you turn it, turn the national stage on this guy 
and wow, the messages that he can communicate to people. I can't wait. Uh, I'm glad the the social media outpouring of people saying, oh, wow, that's what church can look like. The, the question, this is great. And the question to me is whether Bishop Curry is now going to be able to get the cameras to turn back to what he's actually been doing for the last three years, which is showing up everywhere in profound suffering all over the U.S. and every place the Episcopal Church touches and uh, at the forefront of all kinds of social justice issues that touch on the teachings of Jesus. Like he's been doing the real work. It is both wonderful and a little bit frustrating that it took this weird one-off event to finally draw the attention of the world to his incredible ministry. But but maybe now that, pe- that he's on the radar of the, you know, the larger world, um, he can more effectively lead in the spotlight. segment of our podcast is our staff pick which we labor to explain what it is every single weekend we don't need to actually because people get it they've all been to trader joe's That's they've right. all been to um and today betsy is delivering our staff pick what have you got for us betsy well i have to admit i'm into a bit of a comfort food cycle at the moment in terms of my media consumption lives because i'm not at that promised land of summer and all of the new things that that will have for me so i'm kind of noshing on things that I've liked. And over the past, eh, it's probably been about two months, uh, I've been listening to The Dollop, which is a podcast with two comedians, Dave Anthony and Gareth Reynolds. And they essentially tell a story from American history. And one of them is a storyteller and the other has no idea what it is that they're going to talk about. (laughs) It is an amazing improvisational person and can kind of riff on things. And so I've learned more about um, up in your area of Seattle, uh, Liz, during the Great Depression, there was a lot of butter related crimes. I had no idea. Creamery crime and the stealing of butter. There were butter rings that were like moving butter around the city in these speakeasies. Like no idea. Right. So out where they did the story of barbed wire and how that just revolutionized the West. And wire out here. Right. It was like all these people who were actually putting up barbed wire and trying to have farms and own land. They were all called monopolists. The monopolists, they're just trying to take this country of its free range and the animals and it's awful. And let's be fence cutters. So there were these renegade fence cutters that would cut fences and take things down and like just and the way they tell the stories, they are sometimes not appropriate. But the the little things I've learned about just historical elements and time periods. I think it's actually given me some, maybe hope is the wrong word, but when they talk about these times in history, when things have been difficult politically and we've had very interesting characters in office, 
and you actually see that it's not like where we are is incredibly unique uh, in terms of where we are politically and our country at the moment. And it gives me some glimpse of cycles and how move and what people can do in the face of things that they might not be as excited about. So it's like my favorite murder for history. Yes. Yeah. And so I'll, I'll then like be going up to all the history teachers that I work with here at school. And I'm like, did you listen to the episode about, but it's, it's, it makes me feel smarter while at the same time I laugh. Awesome. I'm going to download it. Thank you. Recommend. Well, thank you all for joining us today. Thank you, Betsy. Thank you, Joanna. Thank you, Bishop Barker, uh, for this excellent Royal Wedding slash The Crown episode of Popping Collars. You can find Popping Collars on Apple Music, anywhere you get your podcasts. If you like us, please rate and review um, and leave us a little comment so we can uh, respond and maybe give you a little shout out on the air. Here, I got a comment. Not enough Jesus. Too animated. What were some of the other comments? Yes, you were leaving Long. 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 Yeah. 14, so you 14 think minutes. We not talk about Jesus enough, talk for too long, or are too animated. Yes. For God's sake, leave us a comment. Please. We want to know. Yeah. Um, you can find us on poppingcollarspodcast.com. You can follow us on Facebook and on Twitter and on Instagram. And and you can buy t-shirts at poppingcollarspodcast.com podcast popping podcast.com slash t-shirts um which is a great little way to wrap popping collars and right. liz, liz and i are going to be in austin with collars t-shirt and we're going to have buttons we have the buttons yeah to give you and finally you can find us at the episcopal cafe where we're part of their podcasting network we love the episcopal cafe and we know that you will too You can turn to them for all of your Episcopal news and opinion needs. Don't read the comments. Just kidding. (laughs) Great. Thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you guys next time. And keep those collars popped.